we jump back into our series today through Godspeed, moving at the pace of being known. And I want to ask you this morning, if there's any more contested space in all the universe, if there's any realm or any place, period, that's as fought over as our identity. I'll give you some examples. $300 billion will be spent this year in advertising in the United States alone. The average American child will see 40,000 commercials this year. And every one of you today, each day, will see up to 10,000 different advertisements, different products, services, all trying to tell you over and over again that you are not enough. You don't have enough. You're not doing enough. But if you had that snowmobile, if you stayed at a Sandals resort, if you lived in this neighborhood, then we'll find the next thing to make you realize isn't going to make you happy. Our identity is always being contested over as we're told over and over again by all the things that we are not. Some antithetical definition of ourselves. You are not fill in the blank. And our culture and our economy only really works when you actually believe this. You need to believe that you are not enough. And so this contention, this fighting over identity is always trying to tell us um, that you are not enough and therefore you're not filled up and you need more and more. Now, we do this also in our own study, right? Talking about identity and we have discussions about nature and nurture and how much of who I am and how I'm put together is the genetic makeup of my mother and my father and why I have her nose and why I have his eyes and part of that makes up my identity. But it's also the experiences that I have, the nurture that I experience in the world, the environment I grew up in, the neighborhood that I was in, the schools I attended, the people who spoke to me, the names for God that were chosen in my church that I sat under and listened to all my life growing up. All of those things continue to shape both in our nature and in our nurture our identity. And then as we become kids and go through school, already in primary grades, there's this sort of repeated identity crisis that we go through in school. And you see kids form different subgroups trying to figure out, am I, am I a jock? Am I, am I a music guy? Am I an artist? Like, which sort of subgroup do I, and subculture do I fit in? Because if at least I fit in there, then I'll know all the rules and the things to say, and I'll find some sort of belonging inside this little subculture. Our identity is contested. And the cycle repeats itself again in high school and then once again in university as we try to figure out who we are. And so much of this stage we're being told by the world around us is actually all about what it is that you're going to produce. What amount of good or service are you going to produce? We talk about ourselves as if we are human doings rather than human beings. And that our identity lies in what it is that we do. I'm a lawyer. I'm a teacher. I Mastered divinity in seminary. <laughs> All of these things, over and over and over again, contesting for our identity. And I haven't even started yet on social media. So who are you? Like at the core of it all. If all those things are taken away and all the identifying factors with location and culture, and language, and family, 
and schools and degrees and titles and wealth. Who are you? I don't know if you've got a place where you go back to again and again where you find your grounding. Maybe for you it's going home. And you're reminded this, this is who I am. Maybe for you your identity is best lived out when you aren't at home. Maybe for you it's somewhere else. Maybe it's a song that takes you back to a place and reminds you. It's a passage of scripture, a life verse that sort of always cuts through and brings you back there. Maybe it's a book. There's several different things that do that for me in my life, and one of them is the book I've read the most times. It was introduced already to me as, um, as a student, and one of my favorite authors, Brennan Manning, wrote this book, The Furious Longing of God. It's a short little book. You can read it actually in a single sitting. But other than scripture, there's nowhere else I've gone back to, just me, to be reminded again who I am. You see, the book starts off, and Brendan Manning goes, he's this Catholic priest, and he's lived in leper colonies, and he's lived with gypsies, and he's written all kinds of um, different incredible theological ideas that have been read by so many different people, and he's struggled with alcoholism. He would speak at a conference to all kinds of theologians and find himself waking up on a park bench clutching a paper bag the next morning. And he just tells it all. But he went away on a 30-day retreat at the beginning of the book. And his spiritual director for 30 days in the discipline of silence gave him one verse to reflect on. One verse for 30 days. Can you imagine? He said to sit and contemplate on that. The tens of thousands of advertisements aren't speaking into his life in that moment. Just one verse to ground his soul and bring him home. It comes from Song of Songs, chapter 7, verse 10. This was the verse he was given, I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. How's that for sitting at the seat of your identity? Before you are anything else, you are a beloved child of God. You were brought into existence to be the object of God's affection. You are a masterpiece in process. And you all fit your own little masterpiece inside other masterpieces in some giant mosaic of beautiful redemption of the inbreaking of the kingdom of God that is descending from heaven into this place. And you have a part in that. And when you woke up this morning, there wasn't one more thing you could do or one more thing that you could leave undone that would jeopardize the reality of this statement over your life. It doesn't matter how well you play in basketball tonight. It doesn't matter how many hours you put into studying. You can never be any more or any less loved by God than you are right now. At the soul of your being, you are the object of God's affection. We go back to scripture again and again because of all these competing voices in the world of this contested thing that is our identity. We come back to scripture to ground ourselves. And I just want to reflect for a few minutes this morning on a passage with you that comes from 1 Peter chapter 2. And I want you to hear the identity language in this. As Peter describes it. As Peter talks about who you are. As you come to him, the living stone... Rejected by human beings, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him 
will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone that causes people to stumble. And a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you, you are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. I love already how the passage starts off, even just in the grammar of the text. As you come to him, you are being built. Peter, better than anybody else, understands what it means to be a work in progress. Peter, who once denied Jesus and, and refused to identify himself with him, when Jesus was in his most harrowing moment of life, one of his closest friends said, I don't even know the guy. And yet by the end of his life, Peter found his identity so associated in Jesus that he didn't even consider himself worthy of being martyred in the same way that Jesus was killed. As you come to him, you are being built. And this as, this present tense dynamic movement and change of who you are, as you become sanctified in Christ Jesus, doesn't ever stop. I know we all think that there's going to be some moment in time, maybe it's when you walk across this stage and get a diploma that you're like, now I'm an adult. There is no spiritual adulthood that we ever arrive at. There's no point of arrival. We will always be on our way on this journey. And Peter knew it. Your spiritual growth chart is not going to be up and to the right. It's going to go like this. All over the place. And you'll have moments of doubts and struggle and wrestling and hardship and triumphs and beauty and everything in between. And as you come to him, you are being built. You are God's masterpiece in progress. Know that about yourself. Know this too. As you come to him, the living stone. This absolutely makes no sense. Stone is, a stone is like the most dead thing in the world, right? But you put Jesus in anything and it cannot be more fully alive. As you come to him, the living stone, you also, like living, you also, like living stones, are being built. You're a chip off the old block. You're a little bit of just being like Jesus, and that work in progress makes you more and more like that every day. And I love how in this text, the language that Peter grabs for, in a world that built most of its buildings at the time out of bricks, that are uniform, he chooses stones. Stones are all unique. They all have different shapes. They all get stacked together by a master craftsman in masonry, filling in the mortar as it's all needed in order to build a beautiful home. Peter's telling us, it's okay, you are not like anybody else. In this world and in the inbreaking of the kingdom of God, God does not need you to be somebody else. He needs you to be you. He created you to fill in the space that our world needs. You. And you need to be able to be known by people for who you really are. Cracks, crevices, shortcomings and weaknesses and all. 
And even in his genius, some of that is what allows somebody else to fill in those spaces. As the master mason puts the whole spiritual house together. So this is wonderful news. You do not have to be everything. Here's some of the best spiritual advice a brilliant theologian once told me. And I want you to hear this today too. You're not that big of a deal. That is good spiritual counsel. You are not that big of a deal. I mean, yes, you're God's masterpiece. But in terms of like our expectations of what it is that we're going to produce... God has an entire army to get this done. You don't have to do it all yourself. Don't take yourself so seriously. You're only one stone among many in the spiritual house. I love this term, a holy priesthood. You have to understand that for everybody coming out of the Jewish tradition, right, only a few people ever got to be priests. They were set aside. They lived differently. Only they could go and connect with God in a special way. And now Peter's saying over all of them, you are spiritual. You are a holy priesthood. All of you can go to God. All of you can contend for the kingdom and go into his presence on behalf of people and pray and intercede and ask and petition. Just like the priests of old. This is a new status for all of these people. And this would not have missed them when it fell on their ears. This is groundbreaking. Everybody can go to God. You too. And why? That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. See, there's an end game here. This is the part of the passage where they tell, tell us what our telos is. This is where it's all going and this is where you are headed. It's the telos. It's the ending. It's the end game. One day we will be in a place where we will get to do all of this with every tongue, tribe, and nation. And that's why this is a trailer. Because you were called to glorify God in your life. I love the way the Westminster Shorter Catechism says this in question and answer one. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Spirituality as you grow isn't a matter of simply becoming more disciplined. And it's not getting rid of more and more sins in your life. It's not fitting some definition of holy produced by the church or anybody else. To be more spiritual is simply to grow in relationship with God and to enjoy Him forever. Now listen to the rest of the things that this passage finishes off with. All the things that you are. You will never be put to shame. Those who put their trust in Him will never be put to shame. Did I get that right? He brings me higher. He's lifting me higher. He's taking me to that place. You guys, what an incredible thing. So many people in our world are afraid of being made ashamed or embarrassed in front of other people. And so they don't ever let themselves be known by the world. You get to be known because you have a God standing beside you who says that when you trust in him, you will never be put to shame. You do not have to be afraid. You do not have to be afraid. Exactly who you are is what the world needs. Don't hide it. Don't be afraid. Don't, let, don't be afraid to let your friends in and other people in. You cannot love fully unless you're also willing to be fully loved. And you cannot love what you do not know. To be fully known. To trust in him. 
and know that your God will never let you put to shame. You are a chosen people. We're told this elsewhere in Scripture too. You didn't choose me, I chose you, Jesus said. This isn't by your own doing. You didn't create all this. I chose you. Like, just that's your status. Done deal. And when God makes decisions on things, he doesn't change. So that's who you are. You're a royal priesthood, interceding for all of creation and all of humanity. You're a holy nation. Notice what's absent in this passage when he talks about who you are? doesn't say some of you are rich and some of you are poor. doesn't say some of you are Canadian and some of you are Australian and some of you are Ethiopian and some of you are... Notice how all those identities, as beautiful as they are in the expression of God's diversity, are also actually not the first things listed off in who we are. It's only through the sin of the world that people ever get distinguished between and ranked according to where they come from, the color of their skin, the gender they bear, those differences ranked and classified as worth more or worth less than others is a lie told to you straight out of the pit of hell. That's what racism is. That's what gender bias is. When we don't honor what God created in the way that he created it, it is a slap in his face. That's what those things are. That's why they have no place among the people of God. That's why when Peter tells you what you are, he doesn't say you're this and you're that and you've got a house at the lake and this guy's got this and this person has a corner office and this person has more titles and this guy's got more money and these people from this country are actually more important than the others. It's not even in the list. You're a holy nation. Before you're an American, before you're a Republican or a Democrat, this is your identity. And you are God's special possession. He cherishes you. He says in Zephaniah, he dances over you. He delights in you. When you imagine your God, do you see him smiling at you? Adoring you? Like a parent looking on a child who's just so madly in love. Even the quirky things that they do are just endearing to him. When you close your eyes and you pray and you imagine God, do you see him in that manner, delighting in you? If you don't, you need a reframing of who God is. Because that is the God of Scripture. And once you were not a people, you didn't have an identity, you didn't have a home, but this is it. This is who you are. And once you had not received mercy, you didn't have the ability to do this, but now you have. I'm going to ask the band to come on back up. We're going to lead us in the last song. And as they do, I just want to ask you to close your eyes for a minute. As you come to him, you are being built. And just like him, you're a living stone. One piece among many. And if you put your trust in him, you will never be put to shame. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, his people, recipients of mercy.
Now repeat after me. I am my beloved's. And his desire is for me.